have a packed out house and uh, we're glad that you came tonight. If it's your first time, just want to say welcome. Uh, thank you for making the effort to be here. Not always easy to come to a new place and be in somebody else's house. And uh, it's a little tight, a little crazy, all those things. But we're thankful that you came and made the effort. And we just want to acknowledge that you're here and say thank you for coming. Now, our goal is the same as it is every week. This is what we do. We are here and we exist for one purpose, and that's to help you to know Jesus Christ. That's it. And so each week we come, we sing songs about him, we open the Bible and teach about him, and that's who we are and what we're doing. And we want to help you become more like him. So thank you for coming. Now tonight, for those of you who have been part of our normal uh, operating experience, we're going to take a break from Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, one week off, uh, we're doing something a little bit different. But you know this, we've been working through Hebrews 11, looking at the Hall of Faith. We've been looking at all sorts of godly men, Old Testament saints, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, etc. Last week, Pat walked us through David's life. Do you remember this? The heart of faith, the life of faith was humble, self-controlled, passionate, repentant, obedient. It was great, wasn't it? And next week, we'll be looking at Samuel. But tonight, we're taking a break. Largely because... I just finished preaching Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and I want to preach that message again tonight. No, largely because we've been doing a series on the Proverbs at church on Sunday mornings, and in my study of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I learned that those two verses are not the only two verses in the chapter. There's a, there's a whole lot of other instructions around there, and I couldn't put any of that into the Sunday morning message, so I wanted to give that to you tonight. So we're going to be in Proverbs 3, but don't turn there, okay? Start in 1 Kings chapter 3. So if you would open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. This is, this is a special benefit to college, our college ministry. Most of the church is not getting this final message on the Proverbs, but you are. Special dispensation to you. For them, it all ended with Nigel last week. For you, you got one more tonight. So... 1 Kings chapter 3. Hope you're there. Verse 6. A little bit more detail about how we get to Proverbs. Solomon, uh, story of Solomon says this. You have shown, this is Solomon praying. You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father. According as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness. That you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. That's Solomon saying, I'm here on the throne. Now check out verse seven. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great number who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? It's a great question. And it says in verse 10, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. So verse 11, God said to him, because you've asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have you asked for riches, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. 14. If you walk in my ways, 
keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. It's pretty cool. That was Solomon's ask. He came to the Lord with one thing, and he said, God, give me wisdom. Would you give me wisdom and understanding so I know how to live rightly here on this earth? And this pleased God, so God gave it to him. Now look down in chapter 4, verse 29. Now it says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind. That's like he had no capacity in terms of how many things can you keep in your head. You know, like for me, I get the second thing in there and I'm like, what was I talking about again? It just doesn't stay. But he had this amazing capacity. Like the sand that is on the seashore, Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, you know that guy, Heman, Calcol, and Darda, really smart guys, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke, here we go, 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Right, get the extra five in there. He spoke of trees. He speaks of all things in terms of creation, from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He speaks of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. So he has zoology. He has um, creation. He's got geography. He's got all these different things. Um, what do you call uh, herb, herbology? What is the study of trees? I don't even know. doesn't matter. 34, arborology. Arbory, thank you. Men came from all peoples, 34, to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So they all gathered to hear Solomon. It's a lot of background, but it helps us understand a little bit about where we are when we turn to Proverbs. This isn't just pulling out a fortune cookie and getting the thing in there going, oh, cool. This is the wisest man who ever lived. God gave him this immense wisdom, and there's much for us to learn from him about regular everyday life okay everyday life and so with that as a backdrop turn over to proverbs chapter 3 and we're going to look at the first 12 verses this is a section of solomon's counsel that is extremely practical all right very basic i don't think we're going to um you know break any new ground tonight you're going to recognize everything that i'm teaching they're all principles that are found other places in in scripture but they're put together in a very uh, instructive and practical way. Now, and this is what you'll see is Solomon's wisdom to his son. This is the voice of a father. It's the voice of experience. It's the voice of wisdom. Did you know that in the New Testament, James says, if you lack wisdom, in other words, if you don't know how to respond in a situation, if you don't have understanding, if you're unsure of the future, if you're unsure how to make a decision, James says, if you lack wisdom, what are you supposed to do? One five. Ask. ask God for it. And it says in James 1 5, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God desires for us to have wisdom. I don't know about you, but many of you uh, are not wise, right? Uh, you may have a lot of instruction in, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to pick on you in that, but you're young and you don't have a ton of experience in life. And in a lot of ways, wisdom hasn't come to you yet. Tell me I'm wrong. You make mistakes. Certainly you have some understanding. You've been to school, right? You've maybe advanced in your job a little bit. You're maybe not as um, dumb as you used to be. Um, So you've taken steps forward in experience. But wisdom is the voice of experience and, and biblical understanding put together. That's wisdom, okay? It's understanding the Bible 
and how God wants you to live and putting it into practical application in your life. This only comes over time. But you might think, I have some understanding, right? Maybe you got, you've got instruction from a teacher at school or a boss at work from your parents, or your friends, from people at church. Everybody has a word for you on how you're going to succeed, right? You hear this all the time. Graduation's coming for you seniors, and you're going to be sitting there, and they're going to tell you all the things in terms of your life that you need to do so that you can have a successful next step, right? Your parents all the time, hey, you need to be doing these things. Am I right? Your employers are telling you, hey, I need you to do it this way if you want to do these things right. It can be a little confusing because things are coming from all angles. Question is, who do you listen to? When you need dating advice, when you need financial advice, when you need counsel on how to handle a friendship, how how do you deal with that coworker, that difficult boss? What are the next steps in my life? I'm finishing high school. I'm thinking about going away to school. Should I move out of my parents' house? What should I do in this next stage of life? So many things that you are all working through at this point in your life. And the Bible, listen carefully, the Bible speaks to all of it. It speaks to all of it very clearly. It gives us counsel and wisdom in every issue. God's desire is not to keep you in the dark, but to flood light into your life so you see and you know how you're supposed to live in a way that's wise. So, in the Proverbs, there's plenty of wisdom. And Solomon, as a father speaking to his son, and now as the word of God and the spirit of God speaks to you, there is wisdom in his words. Now understand this. The Proverbs are not hard and fast promises. Did you know that? It's not like if you do this, you're guaranteed this simple result. They're, they're axiomatic. Look it up later. They're, they're truisms. They're general principles, okay? They're, they are um, directional, but not definite in the sayings. Let me give you just an example, and then we're going to dive in pretty quick. Proverbs eleven fourteen says this. Listen carefully. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. You've all heard that proverb before, right? You need to seek counsel or you're going to fall. If you get counsel, you're going to have victory. Now, does that mean that every time you seek counsel, you're going to win? Every time you seek counsel, things are going to go your way. Is that what that's saying? Not necessarily, okay? It's a general principle. It's like a, a rule of thumb. So these proverbs are directional. You live down this direction and the... You follow these instructions, excuse me, and the direction of your life will move according to the proverb, according to this counsel. There was, will result in blessing. All right, that's a, that's a huge introduction, and we're going to move into the message. Okay, Proverbs 3, verse 1. <laughs> Let's read this together and see what, what uh, Solomon has for us. Verse 1. I'm going to read all the way to verse 12. It's a lot of Bible tonight. We're going to be all over the place, so uh, get ready to flip. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. 
even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. There are in this passage six characteristics of wise living, six principles that will help each one of you as you seek to honor God in your life. Our outline's pretty simple. It's all one word. Well, each one is one word. It's obedience, integrity, dependence, humility, worship, and submission. Okay? This is essential if you would be a young man or a young woman who honors God and finds blessing in your life. This is living wise, okay? I would just say tonight, if our theme is this, this is keys to wise living, okay? If we're going to sum this all up into just one phrase, these are six keys to wise living. Got it? Okay, number one. Here we go. I feel like I'm the only one excited. I had, I had a... I'll tell you more about this in, in a little bit, my caloric intake this week. But I had this huge coffee at Starbucks just now, and I haven't had caffeine in a while. And I'm actually <laughs> shaking a little bit. So I am a little bit amped up, and you guys are not. So number one. Number one is obedience. Obedience. It says there in verse one, let's read it together. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Hmm. Instruction, do not forget. Do not forget. Are you forgetful ever? I'm pretty forgetful. I think we are forgetful. Let me just give you a couple of examples of things that you and I probably forget. Ah, you hear it outside and you realize, I forgot to take out the trash. And now you're running, putting on your clothes, jumping out, trying to get out there to get that thing out, and the guy is just pulled by, and even though he pretends he doesn't see you, you know he's laughing at you, right? This is, this is it. You're driving along, and you look down, and what is on your little dashboard? Bing! Running out of gas. Ah! I forgot to get gas. And now if you are with myself or my friend Morgan Harabedian, who I grew up with, old buddy of mine, you would accept the gasoline challenge, which means the gasoline challenge is that you don't go to the nearest gas station. You challenge and have to get back to where? Anybody? Your home gas station. Not home, but to the place you'd normally get gas. So therefore, you're, you're down and your thing is saying 25 miles, 15 miles, zero miles, and then it's just blinking at you or whatever, and then you're negative. You, you got to push past that and get to your home gas station. Hugely important. Uh, he's, he's, he's 42 years old. He sent me a picture recently. He was out of, out of gas on the 405 freeway because he tried to get home and make it. He's got, he's got five kids, and he's still doing the gasoline challenge. It's ridiculous. But all of you have had that little light come on because you forgot. What happens when you forget to say happy birthday to somebody? Ah, terrible. Or if you forget an anniversary. This never happened to me, not yet. Honey, happy anniversary. See, there it is. But it's not till July, <laughs> July 10th. <laughs> All right. Oh, you know what? I forgot to call you. Sorry. Or, ah, uh, I meant to pack an umbrella and I forgot it. It's raining, soaking wet. Not here, but anyway. Or the worst one, when the person calls you, like, where are you? What do you mean? You were supposed to pick me up at the airport. Oh, ah, I forgot. <laughs> Yikes. Here's, here's a simple principle. Simple principle. Forgot to tell her not to laugh so loud. <laughs> no, it is. These are just simply examples of the fact that we are a finite people 
right? We don't have brains that are as the breadth of the seashore like Solomon, like a supernatural intelligence. We're a fallen people, and sin mars our minds. We don't have perfect memories. We don't do things right every time, do we? And here's Solomon saying, I, I know, my son, that you're prone to forgetfulness because he probably told his son the same instruction time and time again, like your parents tell you. Like, son, I told you. Didn't I tell you? How many times do I have to tell you? Right? Over and over. So here he is. My son, don't forget my teaching. Don't do it. Right? Uh, but that's us. We wander. We forget. We see the bright and shiny object, and it's like we have to go after it. Right? Uh, we can sit in church on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, hear the teaching of the Word of God, feel its impact in our heart in that moment, and then walk out the door and never think about it again. Isn't that crazy? Have you ever done that? I do it all the time. I do. I leave Sundays filled up, ready to take on the world for Christ, only to realize days later that I haven't applied a single thing to my life. Let me, let me give you a little test. The last two Sundays. What were they on? Give me topics. They're easy. Give me topics. Wise counsel, Wise counsel was last week and the week before. Trust. Thank you, Megan. She got it. That was me. I preached that. Will you trust God? See, most of you already forgot. Here's my question for you. is not if you remember the title or the topic, but what have you applied? What have you remembered? What have you brought into your life? Or have you forgotten already the teaching of the word? The simple instruction from Solomon is not just to remember the teaching, which is the opposite of forget, but look back at verse 1. It's also what? He says there, you must let your heart keep my commandments. Don't just not forget it and, oh yeah, I remember it, but you must actually keep these things. God's desire for you is that you obey him. A wise person obeys God, has a life of obedience. Keep in mind that he made you, that he wired you, that he knows everything about you. He understands your heart inside and your body outside. He's intimately acquainted with all your ways. He's uniquely able to feel your pain because he was tested in all things just like you and I. As your creator, he knows what is best for you. Every one of you, every one of us. And he's laid it out in his word. And he's put it in the form of some places of commands and in some places of promises. But here Solomon's saying all the instruction God has given you, it's not for your negative uh, enjoyment or take things away from you. All these commands are given to you so that you can have blessing. The creator made it this way. Here's the instruction manual for life. He knows what will light your jets. He knows what will make you excited. He knows what will give you happiness. And the Bible comes in as a perfect parallel. and says, if you do these things, guess what? You will be happy. Look at what he says there. For length of days, verse 2, and years of life and peace, they will add to you. That's it. Now, I want you to turn over to 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. Because as a Christian, you understand that God's commands are not there to control you. They're not there to take away your fun, uh, right? They're not there um, to keep you from experiencing pleasure. But that's what we think about when we think about the Bible. Oh, it's a list of rules and regulations. But for Christians, our ambition is to please God and to live for him in obedience. So 1 John 5, 3, Michelle mentioned this last week in her testimony, says this. This is the love of God. You want to know if you love God? Here's proof, right? That we keep his commandments. All right, it's just the same thing as Proverbs 3, 1. That we obey. 
Okay? We keep his commandments. Now, but look at the second part of this. And it says his commandments are what? You see it? Not a burden. The commandments of God are not put as a burden on top of you. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I can't do that. That's not it. A burden that weighs you down is heavy to walk with, difficult. No, 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 no. For those who love God, they enjoy obeying. Not perfectly, right? But it's not a burden. It's a way to say, this is how I know I love God because I want to keep his commandments. It was Samuel, we'll look at next week, who said to King Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. 1 Samuel 15. That's to say, obedience to God is a hallmark characteristic of the Christian. And Jesus said it this way, you will know them by their fruit, right? You'll see it. A person that obeys is a person that loves Christ. So let me ask you, what are you known for? Are you the funny guy? Everybody knows you out there. Yeah, that guy's hilarious. Or, well, she has the best wardrobe. I love her hair. It's always perfect, right? <laughs> what, what is it? Ah, uh, yeah, you know what? That guy's got it always figured out. Or are you known as somebody who is different because you obey Christ? Obedience is a hallmark of your life. You stand out at work, at home, and at school. Now, back in Proverbs 3, verse 2, the result, I already read it, but I'll read it again. When you do these things, it says length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. This speaks of a quality of your life. That word for peace is the word shalom. All of your life comes into line. All comes into order. There's well-being. You're balanced. Not in a, in, a, in a weird sense, but in a sense of body, mind, soul, all coming together. You come under the plan of God, and everything seems to be in order in your life, in obedience, okay? You're filled with contentment. You're free from hostility. You lack nothing. There is joy and happiness, and God pours out his blessing into your life. Write down Psalm chapter 1 and go read that later. It talks about the man who obeys and finds himself in the word of God, obeying the teaching of the word, somebody that is successful and somebody that has blessing in life. So Solomon's first key to wise living is obedience. Got it? Pretty simple. Did you expect anything different? All right, number two. Second life hack, number two, integrity. Integrity. This is found in verses three and four. He says, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your hearts. Kindness and truth are to be a part of the life of every Christian. Now, I think we could retranslate this to say, I'm just going to make this easy for us. These two words, put them together. Faithful love. Kindness and truth. Faithful love. Okay, in verses 1 and 2, Solomon was speaking of outward obedience. We just looked at. And now in verses 3 through 4, he's speaking of an inward character of the heart. But you see this in verse, look at verse 3. He says, kindness and truth. There's no specifics there about what that means or what that's attached to. They're given by themselves. And it's speaking to an inner integrity, a, a, a manifestation that comes from the heart into every act of life. So if you have kindness and truth or faithful love in your life, it will manifest itself. I could say it a different way. It's what's on the inside that matters, and it will flush out to the outside. God looks at the heart, right? Outward obedience will come from inward love, inward faithfulness. Now, this week, I got back on the wagon. Some of you know what that means. The rest of you are about to find out. 
Fat Pharaoh goes through these massive swings in, that's pH fat, by the way, in my um, dietary exercise life. I fluctuate by like typically 35 pounds either way, which is, I know it's not good. And so what happens is I love to eat food and I get to a point where um, I'm eating cinnamon and sugar together often. That's like cinnamon toast crunch or cinnamon rolls that we make at home. We've got the secret recipe. It's locked up so you can't see it. That makes Cinnabons. It's phenomenal. They're so delicious. I love them. And uh, I love anything with sugar. Okay. I, I also like steak and I like fish. I like French fries and cheeseburgers. Okay. I like Crack Shack because they have a chicken sandwich that's fried. Have you guys been down there? So good. Just write that down. I got a message from Nigel because I talked about Fish 101 a couple Sundays ago. He said, thank you. I went. I said, great. That's a good application of the message. But you should be able to Okay? I like poke. Have you ever had that? That's just cut up fish thrown over some rice. So delicious. You name it, I like it. I, I'm a foodie. I like to eat. And I'm much more fun when I eat. So all of a sudden, I can talk to my family about this, all of a sudden, I get back on the wagon. Okay, that's off the wagon. I'm not exercising, I'm just eating. And I get back on the wagon. Typically, sorry, sorry. Typically, it's because, guess why? Anybody want to take a guess? You got to fit into a suit. I can't fit into my clothes anymore. And I'm so miserably uncomfortable. I'm like, it has nothing to do with summer. It has everything to do with the fact that I am not going to go out and buy more clothes, all right? Because I'm just a fat cow. So instead, I go back to the gym. I reduce my caloric intake to almost nothing. And I work out like a monster for about eight weeks. And the weight just falls off. And I fit back into everything. And then a week after that, I fall and crack my head. And you can all wonder where it came from. But anyway, that's beside the point. So tonight, this week, my body started hurting because I'm working out every possible muscle group. I've got absolutely zero energy because even though I'm working out, I'm not replenishing the stores with any kind of calories, okay? I'm just miserable and I'm just in a state of constant tiredness and really just completely hangry. Like, I mean, it's just bad (laughs) for real all the time. So. On, thir- on Tuesday night, we decided to go to the beach as a family, and Georgia from New Zealand, remember her? She was knackered, 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 naked, 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 and not was naked. not naked, <laughs> what was it? Naked. Not naked, naked. But you would say knackered. Knackered. And what was the other one? What? was the other one? There was Neatful. another one. What's that? Nipple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was it? Nipple. Yes. Netball. <laughs> what is it? Netball. Netball, that's right. Okay. So, Georgia was with us. We're at the beach. We're watching the sunset. We had gone to Pizza Port to get pizza and salad. Pizza for the girls, salad for Tracy and I. So, there's this big, huge salad. It costs like 25 bucks because that's just all they had. Chicken on top of it, Caesar salad. I sit down in the sand. It's like 7.15. Sun is going down. It's beautiful out. And they didn't toss it, so I put the dressing and I start tossing. It takes me like 10 minutes, I toss the whole thing. Finally, I go to dig in with a fork, take a few bites, and Haley's standing over here, and she takes the sand, just playing around, and goes like this. And the wind comes up and blows it straight down to the salad. And now, and now I'm like, what the heck? It was my daughter who I love, she had no, uh, you know, malcontent with this. She's holding a pizza, pizza in one hand, sand in the other. I'm looking at the pizza. I can't have the pizza. I'm not doing it. Um, and so Tracy starts scooping the salad off. 
the top, try to get the sand off, and we go lower and lower and lower, right? And there's still more, there's nothing, like grittiness, it's just I can't handle it. So I try to eat, I can't, I get angry, I take a big handful, I throw it, and finally we get all the sand gone, all that's left is just a little bit of lettuce at the bottom of no dressing. So here I am in the state with no, nothing good to eat, I haven't had a single thing all day, I worked out in the morning, it's seven o'clock at night, and all I've got is lettuce with no dressing. And I'm like miserable, right? And I just want you to know that I got angry. I did. I responded badly. I, 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 my heart was fully revealed. And this is the question I asked myself as I was preparing. Did I demonstrate a faithful love? Did I demonstrate kindness and truth to my daughter? Right? Kindness would have been, sweetie, I know that was an accident. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Right? Truth would have been to say to myself, this is one meal. I'm not going to starve to death. I'm 35 pounds overweight. I'm going to be fine. <laughs> it would have been to remember and think rationally about the situation. But did I manifest that? No. I chose to manifest anger. Okay? I manifested a really bad attitude. But the instruction from Solomon for each of us in any situation of life, whether it's when you're on the wagon or off the wagon or wherever, is that we would be consumed and surrounded by, by faithfulness and love or by kindness and truth, right? That's, what, that's what's going on here. The text there says, look back down, it says, bind kindness around your neck. That's saying, let it be like a piece of jewelry that hangs off of you that everybody sees and notices. It's something that encompasses you all the way around. It's a, it is something that surrounds you. And he says there in verse, verse 3 that it should be written where? Write it on your heart. Write it on your heart. Okay, I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer. Somebody step up. Let's go. I'm not going to look. I just want somebody to stand. Luke, you were close enough. Sorry, Luke is close. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, get up here. All right. This word to, to write it on your heart. Ah, lovely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. This is a Sharpie, and it's going to be here for a while. I think it is my concerns. Okay, I just wrote the word kindness on here. I'd like to fill it in darker, but we don't have any time. You're going to get the idea here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's do this one. <laughs> kindness. See, this is, this is good. We got kindness and truth. Okay, show them off, baby. Look at those. Look at those. Now, this is how you flex your forearms. If you learn how to flex your forearms, skate face forward. Okay, just, we'll just do one. So put your arm up like this. Okay, now make a fist. Okay, now push it down. Okay, you're all the way down as far as you can go. Okay, now. You turn it, nope, you turn it in. Yeah, I'm sorry, you turn it out. Yeah, so you're turning it out? So, so you turn it out. Okay, now, down, out. so far. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and now, now, when you're showing off, you go like this. <laughs> so you turn it out, and you just go. That's how you, that's how you show off a forearm. So you got this kind of thing, and this kind of thing in the forearm. It's like that. Yeah, a little bit of it. There you go. You gotta stop our coffee. Yeah. Still much coffee. Yeah, exactly. All right. Here's, here's, here's where I'm going with that illustration. When you write this on the tablet of your heart, it is something that is indelibly marked in you that is not quickly forgotten. It's not something that just washes away easily. It's something that is there written. It has the idea of like the Ten Commandments and something that's forged into stone by the finger of God into that rock. So this is written into the recesses of your heart that you would take truth and kindness, faithfulness and love and bind them to your heart. 
Write them on the tablet of your heart. Surround you like a necklace. That's the point here. And the result, verse 4. When you do this, this inward character, you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. When you live a life of inward integrity, a life of loving faithfulness, a life that manifests the love of God and the staying power of faithfulness, others will notice. Okay? And it says that you'll find favor with men. Why? Because, listen, a faithful employee who tells the truth and cares about what the job is and cares about others is a good employee. And they stand out if they're working at McDonald's or Starbucks or in any other place. That, I'm telling you, you'll already be steps ahead of the next closest person. Because most people are consumed with themselves. And even slight deceptions so that they can get ahead when the boss isn't looking, they're not working. No. No, this says you're, you're true and you're faithful and you're doing what's right all the time. Why do, do you find favor with men? Because you're trustworthy. You do what you say you're going to do. A faithful person's personal relationships work out better because they keep their word. You have a dating relationship or a marriage. You think the best way is not to be truthful? The best way is not to show love and kindness? If you do, the thing's going to end really quickly, right? Um, You can easily set yourself apart at school and at work simply by keeping your word and holding you to your commitments. This is difficult, isn't it? It really is. Because you sit there and you think, but nobody's looking, so I won't work hard. I can clock in five minutes late. My time card still shows that I clocked in at 8 o'clock, even though it's 8.04. Really? Think that honors the Lord? You think that's really what it means to write the tablet of truth on your heart? Um, you think, well, they weren't really looking, so I don't need to be kind. They're kind of out there by themselves. And even though I recognize they have no one to sit with and no one cares about them, I'm going to be over here with my friends. No kindness and love would say, I'm going to reach outside of myself and go care for them because this thing encompasses me and it's written on my heart. So if you want people to respect you and think highly of you, then this is the instruction Solomon says in terms of wisdom. And he says you'll find favor with God above. Pretty cool. Both a vertical and a horizontal element in your life. So we've seen obedience. We've seen integrity. Number three, we see dependence. Verses five and six. He says there, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight. I'm not going to go into detail. You can, get the, you can get the message off the internet if you want it. Here's the bottom line. We have a, you guys remember this? We have a sovereign, good, wise, and loving God. And he has called us to trust him and depend on him in everything we are and in everything we do. Not to say, I got it, and lean on our own understanding, but to put ourselves under his care. So it's been two weeks. It's been two weeks. I want to ask you again, are you trusting God? How are you doing in this? Are you laying your decisions and your trials at his feet? Or are you saying, I got this? Here is the biggest test. Are you ready? To see if you're trusting the Lord. Okay? How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Lack of prayer means lack of dependence. If your prayer life is birdbath deep, and it's only there when you say grace... And only there on Sunday mornings or when you put your head on the pillow and now I lay me down to sleep, I pray, pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. If that's your prayer, that's it. Guess what? There is no dependence there. The dependent heart, the, the heart that is humble, submits itself under God's mighty hand and says, I will trust you. And it's manifest by a heart that says, Lord, help me. You got that? That's it. So where are you at tonight? Big trial on the horizon? major decision looming in your life? 
Have you gotten on your knees to pray? That would show a dependent, trusting heart. There's some in this room that are not Christians. Let me ask it this way. Have you trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation? Have you said that my works are not good enough? All my efforts will never get me to God because he's holy and I'm not. And I need somebody to help get me there. And that is Christ. His work on the cross, his perfect substitution for your life. He took your sin and paid for it and gave you his perfect life. That's what it means to be a Christian is this great exchange of your sinfulness for his perfection. What it says is this, God, I trust you with all that I am. My eternal destiny I put into your hands at the foot of the cross, and I trust that Jesus and what he did is the only way to heaven. That's to trust the Lord with all your heart. Have you done that? Have you sought that in Christ alone? If you're still holding on to your own goodness or your own religious efforts, then listen, you will find yourself standing before God someday, and he'll say to you, I never knew you. Wow to trust in the Lord. To trust in the Lord is to say Jesus is everything and the only thing. I put my whole life and eternal soul into his hands. Have you done it? That's what salvation is. Okay, so we've got obedience. We've got integrity. We've got dependence. Number four, we have humility. We have humility, verse seven. Solomon goes on and he says, do not be wise In your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Someone who's wise in their own eyes, simply put, is prideful. Thank you, Ryan. Exactly right. I know how to handle this. I got it under control. When you talk to this person, they always correct you. Ah, you said that wrong. It's actually uh, Psalms, not Psalm, if you're talking about the whole book. It's a psalm that you look at, Psalm chapter 103. But the book is called the Psalms. Did you know that? Well, I just told you, right? No, it's not called Revelations. It's Revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. They can't, you know, hey, have you read Revelations chapter 2? No, 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 I'm sorry. I guess I've read it, but it's actually Revelation chapter 2. Like they correct you on everything, right? They're wise in their own eyes. Um, they speak as if they're an authority on every subject, like they're holding court and you're one of their subjects that has to pass the mustard test of their intelligence, right? They always need the last word. They always have to be right. They sit in a seat of judgment as if, if they know more and think more and have everything figured out. You know people like this? Or maybe this is you, where you just always talk as if you know what's going on. I got news for you. You don't. Neither do I. And Solomon says here, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't think you have life figured out cat by the tail. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how pretty your girlfriend is. It doesn't matter how nice your hair is. It doesn't matter any of these things. How many doilies you have, Luke. It doesn't matter, okay? <laughs> I know, it's okay. Proverbs twenty-six, twelve says this. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. You think you got it wired? I got news for you. I don't think you do. Romans chapter 12, 16 says, do not be wise in your own estimation. That's pretty heavy. Well, C.J. Mahaney, quoting John Stott in our book of the month, Humility. Do we have any still available? Are they all gone? We got them. You can grab them tonight. Humility's out there. You can get a book of the month. He says this, 
Pride is your greatest enemy, and humility is your greatest friend. Really interesting. That's what James 4 says. It says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In fact, God hates the proud. Turn to Obadiah chapter 1, verse 3. Good luck finding it. It's in the Old Testament. (laughs) Obadiah chapter 1, verse 3. It's to the right of Proverbs somewhere. Obadiah 1, verse 3. It's a lot of good page turning. I like that. It's good. But if you have a, if you have it there, it's quick, huh? Isaac's got it nailed. Okay. Obadiah one verse three. For some of you, the first time you've ever read Obadiah will be right now. This is amazing. Okay. Look at verse three. This is the Lord speaking, and He says, "The arrogance of your heart has deceived you." Okay. There's arrogance in your heart, and you're deceived in it. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? Like, who's gonna, who can challenge me? I'm rich. I'm up on the hill. I got everything I need. I'm in a great spot. Who's going to bring me down? Look at four, verse four. Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Oh, you want to know who? God will take you down, okay? Think you're stronger than him? Think you're better than him? You're not. But that's the natural inclination of the human heart. It pushed Satan straight out of heaven. It took our first father and mother out of the Garden of Eden, right? It's at the root of every sin. It basically says, I know best. I know best. I know how to handle this. And it dwells in each one of our hearts. Sometimes pride is deceitful, hard to spot. Other times it comes out when you... Complain. Ever complain? I.e., sand in your salad? That's an act of pride, ultimately, because I'm more important than all the situations happening. This didn't come in my perfect plan. It comes out in selfish actions. It comes out when you draw attention to yourself, when you think the world's all about you. Solomon's solution, look back there at verse 7. He says, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Don't just not be wise, but the positive, you got to fear God. This is um, when you see God rightly. To fear God is to see him rightly, okay? Put your eyes on the eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign king, and guess what? It won't be hard to turn from evil. It won't. And look at verse 8. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. It's like a really good massage, Okay, it's like a a long Sunday afternoon nap. Oh yeah, those are good. To sum it up, a right relationship with God leads to a state of complete physical and mental well-being. All right, it's it's not just your body; it goes all the way down to your bones, to the deepest part of you. And it's a, a way of saying this is the reward of humble living. Right, you get your eyes off yourself and you serve others. You pray for them. You help the ones who are suffering and in need. This is what it is. It's, it's to say very simply that, um, that if I'm not wise in my own eyes, take my eyes off myself, I'm putting them onto God, and therefore I live out of humility. Uh, and I want to help other people. Now, there was a situation years ago where uh, Tracy was pregnant. Um, it was a couple years after Haley was born, and she miscarried. And I, I'll never forget, we were sitting in the doctor's office in this little tiny clinic, uh, you know, that room called the little room that you're in and you're super excited because you're going to see the baby's heartbeat and everything for the first time so 
the little sonogram ultrasound thing is set up. Doctor comes in, puts it, um, puts it on her belly, and all of a sudden, there's nothing there. And the doctor looks within like 10 seconds and goes, I'm sorry, your baby's dead. And says, I'll give you some time, and walks out of the room. And that's the warning you get. And it's not expected. Time from great joy to a time of great pain. You might think, that's not that big of a deal. It happens all the time, which is very true. But it is something of great pain. It is something of great pain. And so you're sitting there and you're crying and you're experiencing mourning and you're sad. And for us, as we walk through this, it was Thursday morning when this happened. And it's a super emotionally rough time. Uh, Harder, I would absolutely argue for the woman than for the man, but nonetheless, difficult time for both. Uh, And so that Saturday, two days later, we had a wedding, excuse me, a baby shower scheduled right here in our house that Tracy was hosting, which means a ton of work, a ton of setup, a ton of decoration, a ton of baby things, celebrating the life of another baby. Does that make sense? And so we sat conflicted with, we're, we're wounded, we're sad, and we have to confront this thing. Should we cancel or push this off somewhere else? And the answer that we came to as we, as we, um, as we sat together and talked and worked through it was very simply, no, we need to do this. We need to do it. And I don't know that we understood the ramifications in the moment, but as we went through that weekend, it was such a refreshment. You know why? Because we got our eyes off of ourselves, And we put our eyes on serving Uh, other people and our eyes focused on Christ and guess what it was an amazing experience I'm not saying that took the pain away but it was super helpful because our eyes were now on God and not on ourselves there was a sense that we had feared God in that is that are you following with that Uh, and there's a sense that as you turn away from the things that are selfish and self-focused that there's healing that happens even to your body and even to your soul so anyway that's number four which we, were, we called humility. Number five, we'll call it worship. And we're just about finished. These last two are quick. Worship. Honor the Lord, verse nine, from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Yep, this is a verse about giving. And I'll cut to the chase here. Uh, God gives. He gave food to you. He's given air for you to breathe. He's given you water to drink. He's given you a ton of stuff in your life. He gave you Christ as the greatest gift to redeem you from sin and redeem you from damnation, all those things. He's a generous God. Giving is demonstrated by God and something that's commanded of every one of his children. Okay? Very simply, you are commanded to give. And look there in Proverbs 3. It talks about honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of your produce. Here's the simple truth. I'm going to skip the verses. If you want to write them down, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. And 2 Corinthians 9, 7 talk about setting money aside and giving on the first day of the week. They talk about the fact that God loves a cheerful giver. This is a part of what Christians do, okay? Not under compulsion, but as you purpose in your heart, those verses say, you are to give. Now, you may be saying, I don't have any money. And I would say, but you have an iPhone. And you might be saying, I don't have any money. But I say, I see you at Starbucks, and you might say, I don't have any money. And I say, why then do you get a three by three in and out and not just a single cheeseburger, right? Over and over again, we look at our life and we are in the land of plenty. We have more than we need. If you have a job, even if you don't have a job and you have, well, let's just say if you have some form of income, you should be taking what he says there. Look back at verse nine, the first of your produce and giving it to God. 
Okay? There's a, a passage in 2 Corinthians 8.1. You can look there later. I won't turn you there. But it says that out of their deep poverty, they gave. They begged Paul and said, I know we've got nothing and we're under severe affliction. We can't even feed our families. You need to take this money and give it to somebody else. That's crazy. But that's what the Christian does. It says they gave of their own accord beyond their ability till it hurts. Proverbs 3.10 says, look back there, it says, if you do this, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Give to God, he'll give back to you. This is not prosperity gospel. This is not like the guy used to watch Robert Schuler on TV who said, you give God $100, he'll give you back 1000 You give $1,000, he'll give you back 10000 Now, here's the phone number, send the money in. And now he's a multimillionaire, okay? That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a heart that acknowledges and says, God, I will worship you by coming to you, putting myself under you, and giving what you've given to me first. You are not an owner of anything you have. Yeah, you bought it, I got that, you got the receipt, good for you. You are simply a steward of what God has given to you. It's all his, it's all his, and you have a stewardship to use that wisely. Giving is part of the Christian life. Whether you make 100 bucks a week or 1,000 bucks a week, Giving is something that needs to be part of your life now. You've waited to give. You don't have enough money. When I make a little more, then I'll give. Listen, here it is. Disobedience. I want to challenge you and encourage you from your wealth. Define wealth however you want. It's the fact that you have extra. We give. We give to the Lord. We give cheerfully. We give abundantly. And God blesses that. What does that look like? I'd say, just practically, start with a base rate of maybe 10%. It's a good number to start with. And then talk to the Lord about going beyond that. Write that down, 10%. Go ahead, write it down, put it down there. Think about this and part with some of that money. This is worship. A life that is willing to lay everything down at the feet of God, a living sacrifice. It all belongs to Him, and I worship Him when I give. I trust Him and I give what I have into his hand. That, Solomon says, is wise living. Difficult, but wise. Number six, finally, submission. Verses 11 and 12. Submission. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Here's the conclusion of this little section. Humbly accept the correction of God. It's going to come. You're going to feel it. Things are not always going to go perfect. And when you drift or when you stray or when you deliberately disobey, God will be there like a father to discipline and spank you and bring you back into line. He will put people and circumstances into your life to make you acknowledge that he is king and you are not. And if you're one of his children, like a father, he will spank you. I go to the grocery store and I look at kids and their parents and I think, they, these might be parents, but there's no parenting going on here because this kid's out of control. And I think I want to just walk up and I want to help them to discipline their child properly. Um, <laughs> say what you will with that. But I'm, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, uh, I'm listening to the parent. Johnny, one, two, two and a half, three. Don't make me count again. <laughs> and you're thinking, no. I want to walk up and I want to help the situation. But guess what? They're not my kids. I'm not their father. 
I have no right to discipline, nor do I have any um, accountability to do so, right? Guess who I have accountability to do so with? My own children. I do. And an act of love is when I discipline them to help them be in line with what God has called them to be. That's the job of the parents. Help bring them in and correct them. Now, in a bigger sense, what Solomon's saying here is, he's saying, have you ever been disciplined by God? Has God ever spanked you? It comes in many forms. Sometimes it's the soft correction that comes while the guy's preached on Sunday morning, and as the message is coming, and you're like, Lord, forgive me, because I just mess up on this all the time. That's the correction. It's like a soft breeze. Sometimes it comes from a friend or a parent or a spouse that says, hey, you know what? You've been complaining a lot lately. That's a soft, gentle breeze of God correcting you. Sometimes it's a little firmer when somebody comes and sits down with you and says, hey, I've got to talk to you because I've seen this continued pattern of sin in your life, and I want to address it with you. It's a little bit firmer, right? Sometimes it comes through an even greater situation where it's just louder. You get fired, you fail a class, you're confronted by an elder in the church, and it comes like a two-by-four swinging across the sky, hitting you square in the face. You didn't see it. And what's our temptation when correction comes? We want to run from it. We want to reject it. We want to say that's not true. In our stubbornness, we say, I'm okay. But, but if you would, what Solomon says here is that if you would accept that correction and you would be under that reproof, then guess what? It is a sign, listen carefully, that you are a child of God. Did you know that? You are his child. When you come under that and submit to his plan in that way, it proves that you belong to him. Hebrews 12, 5, don't turn there. It says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not faint when he reproves you. Listen, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Two things there. Number one, when the discipline of God comes, it means, number one, that you are his son, you are his daughter. Number two, it means that he loves you. It's amazing. And so when you see that, don't run, don't fight. When somebody confronts you, don't push away. It's a sign that God is invested in your life and he's not letting you drift off into space. He's gonna keep you and hold you close. And sometimes it's a soft whisper and sometimes it's the two by four. Whatever it is, be thankful that your heavenly father loves you, that you are his child, and that he cares enough to bring you back in line. That's the point. I'll never forget, I was, told you the story before, I was in the process of becoming an elder. And all the other elders were sitting around a table and they said, well, there's just one problem. You know the Bible, you're serving in ministry, things look really good, you can teach, there's all sorts of great fruit. But Sean, there's an issue. And Chris Mueller said, you're stubborn. And then Rod said, you're stubborn. And then Robert said, you're stubborn. And then John Plesnick said, you're stubborn. This is before Nigel came. And I'm sitting in the room with these four guys who have each confronted me individually on this, and I had ignored it, and I, guess what the first thought in my mind was? I am not stubborn. And it almost came out. You know what? It took that gathering of men for me to see the sin in my life and the pride that was there. The Lord had to take a two-by-four, the entire eldership of FBC, and smack me across the head to see it. And you know what? I'm so thankful. Because that's a sign that I belong to Jesus Christ and that he loves me. And so I want to come under that. And I want to submit to the correction of God and come under his authority. And I hope you do too. When somebody confronts you on sin, 
or when you hear something that you need to change in your life, be soft-hearted. Know that this is the plan of God in your life and that it says there at the end of verse 12 in Proverbs 3, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. God delights in you and wants to see you walking according to his ways. So, let's wrap it up. Wise living, in the words of the father Solomon to his sons and to us tonight, requires six things. Six things, obedience, integrity, dependence, humility, worship, and submission. I want to encourage you to pick one of those. Pick one and seek to put it into your life tonight and this weekend. Can I hear an amen? Will you do it? All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you now at the end of this time in your word, recognizing that you have given us very clear instructions, that you are the only wise God, and from your mouth come both wisdom and ultimately blessing for our lives. And so we just pray that you'd help us because we're so distracted. We get weary so easily. Uh, We want to walk down the wrong pathway so often. So please help us to be wise in our lives. Help us to obey. Help us to be teachable. Help us to be humble. Help us to submit. Help us to depend. Give us integrity of heart. We want to be those who follow hard after you, who are your sons and your daughters, whom you love and whom you delight in. So change our hearts to be more like that of Jesus Christ. As we sing now, we pray that this room would not just be filled with our voices, but with the very worship of the God that we love. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.